Acts 10, 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened, say, encounter. And something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came again to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. If you haven't had your mind bent by God, then he's calling you to go deeper with him. I know we would never say this, but I'm going to challenge us this morning. We live as if we have figured him out. We live as if we have experienced 95% of who he is and what he offers. And by faith, we leave that 5% possibility that there's more. We live as if God is doing amazing, astounding, mind-bending things theoretically, but when he starts to press what is not theory but actuality into our lives, we get afraid, we shut down, we grip, we steady ourselves, we brace, we hold our breath, we cry until it goes away. And then we say, that was, a, that was a good worship service on Sunday. Now, let's get back to what we know. What if he never lets you go back? What if God has ordained a season where he never lets you slide back into your slot in the kingdom? What if he fills up that slot and you've got nowhere to go except forward with him? Peter gets a bad rap. You know Peter. He often talked, spoke before he thought. We always focus on him rebuking Jesus. Remember that uh, infamous moment where he's rebuking Jesus about going to the cross and Jesus gave him a nickname that day, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Well, listen, that was the first time that Peter rebuked God. This is the second. The second time after years of journeying by faith and Peter the apostle who may have well, well been at that time the, most, the foremost leader in the church, 
is now handpicked for an encounter by the one whom he loves and serves and would eventually die for. He's handpicked for an encounter because through that encounter, God was going to reveal a massive component of the mystery of the gospel in that the Gentiles would be folded in, grafted in to the gospel kingdom. A previously vague, if anything, concept to Jewish Christians. So let's walk through these verses, and then I want to talk to us about us. Because this is not history today. This is a contemporary message. It's a right now message for this house, this mission base, this community, this city, this state, this region. And I believe that this is something God is echoing, if not all, all over the world, at least in the United States of America, calling us to come back to him. Not our version of him, but him. So go with me back into the text, and let's look through verses 9 through 16. I'm going to do a little teaching, but more exhortation than anything, and I'm praying that some folks will get absolutely released during ministry time today. And, and I want you to think about you, by the way, when I'm going through this. I don't want you to think about the other guy. I want you to think about you. This is not the message. This is not a message for the person sitting next to you as far as you're concerned. This is for you. You came in wearing a shirt with a bullseye on it, and the heavenly archer is going to put an arrow right there in the middle of it. So don't tune out. First of all, I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to talk about the uncomfortable leadership of God, the supernatural activity of God, and a paradigm shift from God. And we're living in all three of these. First of all, the uncomfortable leadership of God. We saw in the text this, that God intrudes upon Peter's normal pattern of life. Peter is, to the best of his understanding and the best of his ability, surrendered completely to the resurrected Son of God. And at an appointed hour of prayer when he's hungry, it's lunchtime, it's noon, somewhere around there, and while they're, he's waiting for somebody to cook for him, he goes up on the roof and he's just going to pray. He's just doing what he does, but God interrupts his lunchtime and his prayer times, a prayer time with a heavenly encounter. And listen, this actually happened to a real Christian named Peter. He's on the roof and he's just praying. And all of a sudden, the heavens open. The heavens open. He's in a trance, highly supernatural, in a trance. The heavens open up and coming down from the third heaven into the second heaven through the first and there into his realm where he can see it is this massive sheet. And as that the four corners are tucked in and as they drop, it lays down and in it are a bunch of unclean, non-kosher animals that Hebrews have been taught their whole life never ever eat those things. And so Peter is assaulted through all of his senses, he sees something. He senses something. God is saying, Peter, this is not going to be your normal quiet time. This is not going to be your normal lunch time. Peter, I'm encountering you for a shift that is coming in the economy of the gospel. Then verses 11 through 13. God challenged Peter's deep convictions because Peter wasn't just looking at a zoological vision. It wasn't just to observe the nasty little critters running around there that no Orthodox Hebrew would touch. But God says to Peter, Peter, get up, slay the animals, and eat it. Now, we have got to linger here for a moment. 
Peter's whole life. We don't know exactly how old he is. We know he's old enough to have a fishing business. We know he's old enough to have a family. We know he's old enough and he was following Jesus for three and a half years. And then it's some years after that that this is taking place. So Peter is not a young whippersnapper. He has been living his life in accordance with the Levitical law that forbade them from eating certain types of animals. They were not allowed to do it. So this isn't Peter's personal conviction in, in its core. This is Peter's biblical conviction. This is Peter not understanding that a, an actual New Testament season, Jesus, of course, taught about it, but Peter did not know when Jesus taught about it what all it would include, and it would include this, that Jesus came to fulfill the ceremonial law and the dietary restrictions. And all of those things that were mandated by the Jewish law are not brought over onto the New Testament saint. But Peter was still living those out in his personal convictions. But those convictions were based on his biblical understanding, his cultural and community traditions, the legacy of his family more than likely. And it was just a part of who he was his whole life. And as God said, Rise up, kill what you see, and eat it. Remember, the Bible says he was hungry. The Lord met him using his natural state. Met him in the place of hunger, set before him non-kosher food, and came hard after Peter's heart. Friends, I'm, I, I just want to say this. I'm going to say it repeatedly in different ways. But I want you to know that God reserves the right to come after your most deeply held tradition, to come after your most important preference, to defy your legacy, your denominational tradition, your cultural expectation, your community bylaws, and anything else that is less than his holy sovereign authority and plan for your life. He reserves the right to say, I'm not looking at that. I'm not going to honor that. I'm doing something new in you. Now, I'm going to tell you, many in the room have lived this out. But the danger in living it out and going through a big shift in your life is you think he's a one-and-done God. Yeah, Lord, thank you. You brought me through it. I can't believe you did that, God. I was so blind. I didn't understand what you were doing. But, Lord, you enlightened me, and you opened me up to this, this, and this. Thank you. And, by the way, please never do that again. Listen. Leviticus 20, verses 25 to 26. The law said, don't eat those things. God came to Peter and said, eat. You need to know something. It's a unique, it was a transitional stage between the law being bound and um, governed by the Mosaic law, which Jesus has fulfilled. Let me tell you just in case, because some of you are sharp and you're saying, are you trying to tell us today that God will command us to do things that are contrary to the completed word of God? And I'm saying absolutely not. God will never call us today to live in conflict with his revealed written word. 
if anybody adds or takes away from the word of God, their anathema is pronounced on them. So we are people of the word. So no, that is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is when God was establishing the New Testament era, Peter is receiving this vision in a transitional phase. And the Lord is not only pointing him away from one thing, but pointing him into something new. Well, I think one of the most important things that the Lord has shown me over the last, um, going on 15, almost 20 years now, probably closer to 20 years, is that there's a major need for the people of God to understand the difference between something that is unbiblical versus something that is non-biblical. Unbiblical, it means I am doing, saying, believing, or thinking something that is contrary to the word of God. That is unbiblical, and that is an illegal act in the kingdom. Non-biblical means this. The Bible doesn't speak to it. The Bible doesn't promise it. The Bible doesn't principle it. The Bible doesn't prohibit it. And therefore, it is non-biblical, which requires what? Discernment about what the Lord is saying and obedience to what you discern, he says. And so many people have believed that what is non-biblical, because, because the Bible doesn't address it, therefore it must be unbiblical. That's why when you see the Holy Spirit moving in such a way, and maybe somebody is manifesting either joy or the fear of the Lord or the awe of God, I'm telling you, the, the glory of God began to hit me this morning. And, and listen, doxa, the weight, the kavod of God began to hit me, and I, I felt it to the point where when I came up here, I'm just drenched in his heaviness. We we'll say, Jeff, I don't see that in the Bible. Well, that's okay, because actually I do, but it's, it's, it's a, maybe a non-biblical issue. So when we judge, when we look around and we're saying, that can't be God because there's no, there's no precedent for it in the Scripture. Friends, that is the wrong way to discern what's going on around you. Do you think when God hit, hit the church in Acts chapter, chapter 2 with fiery tongues and massive conversions, do you think that was the last time he ever got creative among his people? He's the creator, therefore he is creative. And he didn't lose his creativity when, the, when he finished writing the Bible. So he's going to move in ways that you may not have a verse on. Instead of policing that, why don't you enjoy that? Amen. Yeah, somebody's praying for boldness. Thank you. So listen, Peter's in a, in a difficult, difficult place. His convictions are getting countered by God. So what happens? Go down into verses 14 and 16. Let's, I, I, I so identify with this. God does not conform to Peter's wishes in verses 14, 15, and 16. You know what Peter's wishes are? I don't want to eat that. Look at the contradictory statement. By no means, Lord. No, Lord. No, Lord. No, Lord. His no is louder than his Lord. He's literally acknowledging in one side of his mouth the lordship, the authority of God, and in the other side of his mouth, he's defying that lordship. He is saying, you're Lord, but I'm not going to do what you say. And he goes on to explain why, as if God didn't know. But I love the explanation. I read it this way. It may not be this way. Give me a little attitude here. But Lord, I've never done that before. 
Lord, by no means my whole life, I have never eaten anything unkosher. That's not what I do. As if God would say, oh, my bad, I didn't know. I know what it's like to be stretched out of your comfort zone and to be afraid of the consequences, to wonder what are people going to say, to wonder, is this God? Is this the devil? Is this my flesh? To, to just be so humbled where you're not in control and you don't have the answers and you can't make sense of it and you don't know what comes next. Peter said, Lord, by no means will I do that. And so God said it again. Peter, rise, kill, and eat that. By no means, Lord. Peter, rise, kill, eat that. Three times he was given the instruction. Three times he immensely struggled. And then the sheet descends back into the open heavens the heavens close the trance stops by the way most of us would not have made it through that at all a trance open heavens a vision and an audible voice from heaven some of you think that can't happen anymore some of you believe that God would never do that you better watch yourself he's God he can do it and so Peter's left there on the rooftop, and then somebody rings the doorbell, and that's the next section, the next chunk. Here, here we see the further supernatural activity of God, because all of this had a purpose. It wasn't just about the dietary regulations. That, that vision he saw had a very practical emphasis in that the dietary restrictions that the Hebrews, ancient Hebrews, were, were obligated to up till this time, up till the time of Peter, not only had Jesus fulfilled those and God was making that very clear to Peter that that didn't have to be a part of his life, but there's a practical reason why. Because symbolically, that sheet full of the unclean things was standing for the Gentiles, the unclean Gentiles. Massive division between Jew and Gentile in Peter's day. They didn't interact. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't like the Jews. They tried to stay away from each other. It was uh, like a, an awful thing for a Jew to come into physical contact with the Gentile. And so there was some cultural animosity, some religious animosity, some racial animosity. But that vision that Peter got was not only telling Peter, hey, don't be afraid to have a ham sandwich for lunch, but it was also Peter I'm about to take what is precious to you and I'm going to use you to pour it into the Gentiles. So let's look at this because there's more super, supernatural activity of God. First of all, in verse 17, there's pinpoint timing from God. See, as God is finishing up with Peter, Cornelius, I'm going to tell you who he is in a minute, sent some representatives to Peter's house. And at the moment the sheet goes back up to heaven, somebody calls out, Peter, there's some guys at the front door for you. You need to get down here. Well, what in the world had happened? If you read the first eight verses of this chapter, you're going to find out that there's a Roman centurion. The Romans were despised by the Jews. So it wasn't just the Gentile. It was like a Gentile from the really wrong side of the tracks. And so Cornelius had somehow become a God-fearer. 
He wasn't born again yet. He hadn't heard the gospel yet. He hasn't bowed to Christ yet. But he believed in a monotheistic God, a one God. He had somehow on some level embraced the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he didn't know what to do. And so he's doing everything he can do. He's floundering, but he's being sincere. And so he's been giving alms. He's been, been charitable to the God's people. He's been in some way contributing to the needs of the Jewish community. And he's been praying. He's been calling out to a God that he has no definition for, but he, he just believes that the God of the Jews is, is out there and it's his God. And so the Lord's been watching Cornelius. The Lord's been listening to Cornelius. And Cornelius didn't have any theology and Cornelius didn't have any hope in the world on his own to come into the, uh, a contact, a revelation, an encounter with the gospel. Even the Jewish Christians were still very reluctant at that point to really go headlong into a Gentile, pagan kind of a mission. So Cornelius gets an angelic visitation. No, a real angel. So God sends an angel from heaven to go to Cornelius' house, and while he's praying at 3 o'clock in the afternoon one day, the angel pops in, and he says, Hey, Neil. God's heard you and all your charitable deeds they've come up and they've been accepted by the Lord God has heard your cries Cornelius now I'm going to tell you what to do Cornelius I want you to go down to Joppa and go down there right by the coast and I want you to ask for a guy named Simon the Tanner and here's his address and, and, and staying in one of the rooms in Simon the Tanner's house is another guy named Simon. You need to go find him because he's got some good stuff that God's going to call him to share with you. So you've got this one hand of God stirring up supernatural encounter with Cornelius. you got the other hand of God stirring up supernatural encounter with Peter and God's about to weave them together to where it's one glorious history-changing, gospel-cementing moment in the life of the church. I'm glad Cornelius was open to an angelic visitor. I I'm glad Peter, he's struggling, but his not-so-Lord is going to change here in a moment because as soon as he's coming down the off the roof, they tell him, hey, go check out the front door, and God's pinpoint timing is, is before Peter even had time to really, really push that vision out of his mind. God knows us, man. He knows us. We're in the prayer room. God's speaking, man. We're just soaking it in. We know it. We are just, you know, we're laid out. And we got it. And it's just crystal clear. You step out of the prayer room. You go to your car. You got a flat tire. You try to get some gas, some groceries. There's traffic. And then you're sitting there in traffic. And you're thinking, that was probably me. That probably wasn't the Lord. Uh, you know, that could have been... That could, could have been La Casuela and what I ate for lunch. I bet that. And we talk ourselves out of it. Well, this was too important. God wasn't going to let Peter be talked out of it. So as soon as he comes down, the Bible says that Peter was perplexed. Peter did not know what to do with what God was doing. By the way, you're not always going to be in control of what God's doing in your life. And if you always have to be in the captain's seat, you're not going to experience much. And so Peter is struggling with what is going on. Now look in verses 23 through 29. So he meets these guys, but his discomfort lasts for over at least 24 hours. 
Because he meets these guys, these guys give him the story, hey, we are representatives of Cornelius, he's uh, the leader over the Italian cohort in the Roman army, we were visited by a man in blazing white, he told us to come to Simon the Tanner's house and to ask for you, and apparently you have some good news you're going to share with us. And Peter's thinking, I got Gentiles on my front porch. I hope Johan isn't looking. I hope that Miriam isn't looking over here. And he just said, get in here. Come on, come on. So he brings them into the house and they spend the night. Early the next morning, they start heading to Cornelius' house. This is what I love about Peter. He's struggling, but he's obeying. He's struggling, but he's exploring it. He's struggling, but he's not demanding that God bow to him. He is bowing to God, even in the midst of not having a really full understanding of what God is doing. Friends, that is called faith. If you shut down the moment God makes you uncomfortable, you may be sealing yourself off from the best thing that he's got to offer you in that moment. If you take that first step and it doesn't feel like the soil you're used to walking on, it doesn't feel as firm and you don't know the pathway and you say, I don't think so. You are cutting yourself off from the destination that he has for you. So he walks with them. He brings a couple of Jewish friends with him and they get to Cornelius's house. And when they get there, Peter walks in Make sure I'm not getting ahead of myself here. Yeah, Peter walks in, and the place is filled with Gentiles. And it's, it's, listen, we don't get that. It's, it's Peter's cultural nightmare. He's never done everything that's happening in Peter's life in this 48-hour period. He had, he had no grid for. He's obeying God with having zero understanding of what was going to come of all of this. So he goes in, and the first thing that Cornelius does is he gets down on his knees before Peter. And Peter's like, great, this is what pagans do. They worship man. And he says, Cornelius, get up on your feet. He says, I'm just like you. And then Peter gives a little speech. He's got the floor. He stands behind the pulpit. You know how it is unlawful for me, a Jew, to enter into a house full of Gentiles. But God hath shown me that I shall not call anything unclean or common, which he has said is clean. That's the way it reads to me. He probably didn't do it that way. But but it's funny. He's, He's like the honored guest, and he's kind of insulting him. He's like, you know I don't want to be here, but God made me. Cornelius says, let me tell you what happened to me. And he he recounts to Peter about the angelic visitation. And he begins to share with Peter the supernatural work of God in Cornelius' life. Let me tell you what a help that is to Peter. Because now Peter's got a few dots he can start connecting. You know, he he just started out with a big smudged dot. Rise, eat, uh, rise, kill, eat. Ding dong. Goes downstairs. Gentiles, now he's going to visit. So he hasn't had a lot of dots to connect, but he's obeying. I just feel like that's a, a word for some of you right now. That God is calling some of you to keep walking in the direction he is leading in, even though he's not defining it for you yet. We don't live by definition. We live by faith. 
Not faith in us fully understanding what he's doing, but faith in the one who's doing it, whether we understand it or not. And so Peter agrees and he goes and he's finding out God's doing something new. I'm going to ask just a generic question, but I think it's so pivotal right now. Newbridge Church, IHOP Atlanta, we are all walking in something brand new. It's brand new. Of course, the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and evermore. But what we are doing together is brand new. And you may be the most chill person in here, and maybe you're just cool as a cucumber through the whole thing. But most of us have aspects where we're like, hmm, that's different. I don't remember us doing that before the merge. Works on both sides, by the way. Uh, it's not just New Bridgers saying, whoa, it, it's eyehoppers probably saying at times, hey, man, this is kind of different than what we're used to. Yeah. By the way, we're all one family now. Come on. We're, we're all one family. And so I hope that you're uncomfortable. But more than hoping you're uncomfortable, I really, really hope that you're responding to it in faith. That's what Peter was doing. That's what Cornelius is doing here. And so his stunning testimony is, Peter, this is what God was doing in my life. Peter's saying, oh my goodness, that happened 24 hours before my, less than 24 hours. The timing's right. It was three o'clock the previous day when Cornelius got his angelic visitation. It was noon uh, the next day where Peter got his heavenly vision. 21 hours and God's just working this thing. So go down to the last chunk of verses. We didn't read these verses. I didn't want to I just, I, honestly, I, I don't even want to teach verse by verse. I know what time it is. When you're done, listen, you're not going to offend me. I, I'm not going to quit early, though. So, you, listen, honestly, if you need to go, you need to go, but I'm going to go, too. So, here we come to the paradigm shift, because all of this has a monumental purpose that actually impacts just about every single person in this room right now. What was God doing? God was giving the revelation that the Gentiles would be included in his eternal plan of redemption. That the Gentiles would be offered entrance into the Jewish Messiah. The, the unclean things in the sheet were us. That we would have a part, but it needed a Jewish missionary to go to a Gentile's house in Acts chapter 10 to get the door open, and it stayed open for 2,000 years, and that's how you got through it. Because Peter said, I see what you're doing, Lord. Now I'm starting to get it. It's new to me, but I'm going to obey. You never know what your obedience today is going to lead to in the life of another tomorrow. It's not about me and it's not about you. Sometimes God wants you to obey the uncomfortable leadership of the Lord, not just because he's stretching you, but because at the end of that stretch, it's going to touch somebody's life and it's going to make a massive difference if we obey. There's just seasons where he doesn't meet you in what he used to bless yesterday. He's not bound to bless today what he blessed yesterday. He isn't. We think, okay, this is the way I've always done it. Whatever it is, the kingdom, life, ministry, family, all of that stuff, this is the way I've always done it. And he's always blessed it. And then by his stretching, 
and introducing a new paradigm, a paradigm shift, because he's going to do something new. It's not a tweak. It's literally at times a cutting off and a new beginning. And so this is what's happening in a sense to Peter. First of all, very clearly, Jesus Christ had to be proclaimed for Cornelius to be saved. So in verses 34 through 43, Peter launches into the gospel. And so, man, I mean, he's, he's re realizing, okay, God sent me here to give the gospel of Jesus Christ to this God-fearing Gentile in his house full of other Gentiles. And so Peter begins a very simple, accurate, historical presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus as the Son of God came to earth, born as the Son of Man, in the womb of a virgin named Mary. And as the Son of Man, he lived a sinless, perfect life before the Father. And the Father affirmed that. And, and, and the testimony is he always did those things that pleased the Lord, always. And then he laid down that life, that sinless, perfect life in an act of sacrifice. And God the Father poured out his wrath on sin upon God the Son. And so Cornelius is hearing that when the wrath of God was poured upon God the Son, who had no sin of his own to die for, therefore he was the substitutionary lamb who could die for all of our sin and Cornelius' sin and Peter's sin. Cornelius is hearing the gospel, and then Peter unloads, but wait, Cornelius, three days later, Jesus rose and emerged from the tomb, and therefore he has conquered judgment, he has conquered sin, he has conquered death, he has conquered hell, he has conquered all of the things things that wanted to conquer you Cornelius Jesus is Lord so he's giving the gospel presentation he was still on his first point when boom in verses 44 through 46 the Holy Spirit begins to move and he affirmed the Gentiles faith in Christ literally he's in the middle of a sermon while the Spirit did his part in awakening the Gentiles and confirming their salvation so Peter is preaching it says while he's preaching the Holy Spirit fell and the Gentiles get rocked. They get rocked. They get wrecked. They are yabba-dabba-doing all over the place. In that room as the Holy Spirit gives them new tongues. And they're praising God. They're giving glory to God. And they're speaking in tongues. And Peter and his Jewish brethren are going... Oh. <laughs> Am I hearing what I'm hearing? You're hearing it. Why was that necessary? Because that was the indicator of the birth in the Jewish church in Acts chapter number 2. And God, making no distinction between Jew and Gentile comfort, convert, gives them the same response when the gospel hits and the Holy Spirit baptizes them. And so now, and Peter would testify in the next chapter, because he got in trouble for going up there, by the way. The, the, the people who didn't quite have the benefit of the vision would call Peter into account later, some of the church leaders, and say, hey, man, we heard you were, like, spending the weekend up at Cornelius' house. What's up with that? And so Peter gives them the testimony, and this is Peter saying, he said, he said when the Holy Spirit, when God gave them the same gift that he gave us, what was I going to do? So the Gentiles... The Father's omnipotent arm of grace opens the door to the Gentiles and he says, come in, sons and daughters. Come in, sons and daughters. Come in, sons and daughters. The Lord 
is doing something in your life right now that is different. He's not just doing it around you. You are not to be either the pleased or displeased, detached observer of what he's doing. He's doing it, yes, around you. He's doing it in you. He's doing it for you. He's going to do it through you if you cooperate. What has to come down is that thing in our heart that recoils when something beyond our understanding, beyond our ability to define or explain, or more importantly, beyond our ability to control. When God begins to move, there are moments where he is not interested in anybody's opinion. He is doing something. Why would he do so? I thought he loved us, Jeff. I thought he cared about us. He does not care about you more than he cares about his own glory. And when he determines it is a season to manifest his glory in the midst of a people that need to experience his glory. He does not say, oh, you don't want to? You, you don't want me to do that? Okay. Sometimes, friends, he just says, here I come. I am God. Here I come. And I'm going to promise you something. We, some of you think, yeah, we're experiencing that. I'm, I'm going to tell you again what I opened with. We're at the very beginning. We're at the very beginning. You know on Thanksgiving when you walk in the house for the first time, guys, and you, you smell it? Turkey, dressing. I'm so hungry. We're in the middle of a fast here, man. You smell it. But you haven't sat down at the table to ingest it yet. What's happening now is a fragrance. It's so good, so powerful, so important. It is God, part of what he's doing, I won't contain it to just this, part of what he's doing is he's saying to you, do you smell that? Do you smell that? I'm cooking up something. I'm going to be serving up something. It's not just for the wackos. It's not just for the extroverts. It's not just for the whatever you fill in the blank. I'm cooking up something, and I'm not going to put it on a plate. I'm going to pour it out on you. Help me, Lord. You just need to say yes. And the only way you can say yes is with a full surrender to him. It's the only way. To the degree that you try to manage any component of it, to that same degree, you'll miss it. Literally, 
we have to lay everything before him in this season. God spoke to me on Thursday or Friday. And he said, Jeff, there's too many sacrificial people in my church. I want surrendered people. Do you know you can sacrifice without being surrendered? But you can't surrender without also being sacrificial. Today is a day of surrender. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, please. This message is not for the other person. I want you to honor the Lord. I'm I'm not even going to say it diplomatically. There needs to be repentance in this house. There's got to be repentance in the house from the back row to the front, this side, middle side. There's got to be repentance. You say, Jeff, I'm not in sin. No, part of repentance is you just lay yourself out and you let him probe and inspect and give and take. And you, you don't wiggle on the operating table. You just trust the hand of the great physician to move in such a way. Just like that little baby just got woke up with an alarm. I think that's what the Lord is wanting to do right now. Friends, we can't go into what he's doing any further. We cannot move into it without a complete and full surrender. You say, Jeff, I don't know what I'm surrendering to. That's the problem. You think you can control your surrender if you know what you're surrendering to. You're not surrendering to a what. You're surrendering to a whom. You're surrendering to him. It's the safest place. It's the only safe place to surrender. So we lay down our preferences. We lay down our grievances. We lay down our offense. We lay down our hopes. We lay down our dreams. We lay down our, I have never ever in my life before, Lord. We lay it down. And we say, God, today, I mark today as a day where you have me. And I've got nothing filled in. Take what you want. Bring what you want. You want me to shout, I'll shout. You want me to to, to pray, I pray. You want me to prophesy, I prophesy. You want me to speak in tongues for an hour, I'll speak in tongues for an hour. You want me to put myself out there, I'll put myself out there. You want me to get into the hidden place and just be by myself with you for days or weeks, I'll do that. Lord, I am not going to run the show anymore. I'm not going to put up guardrails on what you can do anymore. Lord, I'm surrendering to you fresh, new, and absolutely fully surrendered would you stand to your feet